Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Get It Whacked, the Macclesfield Cricket Club podcast. Over the coming weeks and months, we intend to go behind the scenes of Max CC and meet some of the players and characters of the club, find out some things about them you never knew or most likely never wanted to know, and above all, hopefully have a few laughs along the way. Macclesfield Cricket Club is grateful for the continued support of our various sponsors. Today's featured sponsor is Mellington Estates Limited. Mellington Estates are a family-run property management and development company based in Macclesfield. There are four sides to the business. They have 120,000 square feet of commercial premises, including warehouse and office buildings based in Macclesfield. Commercial premises are always a moving target, and Andrew is always keen to hear from prospective new tenants. Other services offered include student properties in Fallowfield, Withington and Central Manchester, professional let properties in Macclesfield, Didsbury and Cheadle Hume, and soon-to-be-completed new-build residential properties in Presbury, close to the New King's campus. Contact Andrew for more information via www.mespace.co.uk. Without further ado... I would like to introduce today's guest. This man has been in huge demand to make an appearance on the podcast ever since the very first episode. His agent finally returned my call and unbelievably asked for a bigger fee than even Khalid Sowers. Having assumed his position as the mayor of Titherington, he has temporarily put his cricket career on hold. He has already featured heavily in the anecdotes of various members of the club, and now seeks a platform to set the record straight. Introducing the big man himself, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jim Melrose. Jim, how are you? I'm very well, mate. How are you? I'm very well. Yeah, I'm all good. Big man. You finally made it to the podcast. Thank you for gracing us with your presence. Well, you know, I'm sorry, sorry to, uh, to take so long to uh, join in this fun, but uh, things have been quite busy at my end with work and, and two little ones, so... Uh, we finally got there in the end, so I'm very much looking forward to this. Excellent. I'm, I'm very glad to have you uh, on the podcast. Uh, needless to say, a much-in-demand guest. Um, Jim, uh, first question is, how, how's the lockdown going? Uh, have you got two feral children? Uh, it's going all right. It's, it's strange times for everybody, isn't it, I guess? Uh, this sort of new normal that everybody's talking about. And uh, I'm still working full-time and sort of as busy as ever, so... I'm in the office upstairs most of the time during the week. Gemma's doing the sterling job with the two little ones. So, uh, well, obviously, well, I'm trying to help out as much as possible. So they've been good in the main. Uh, kids are kids, though. They get a bit frustrated at times. But the, the, the nice weather's really, really helped. So that's been, that's been good. Moving us on nicely, uh, Jim, uh, what, do, uh, what do you do when you're not playing cricket? So when I'm not playing cricket, uh, professionally, I'm a chartered accountant working in international corporate taxation. I'm a dad of two wonderful children. Isabel and Harry, and according to Kelly Sawas, I'm now apparently a full-time recluse. I, um, I mean, Jim, all I can say is I haven't seen you in about five years. So, uh, I mean, I know you claim to have played last season, but uh, I, don't, I don't remember seeing you. It's, it's. Uh... Well, there's some people with some very short memories. I think this lockdown is doing strange things to people's memories. <laughs> I mean, to be fair to Cal, to be fair to Cal, I was more concerned about his vision during this lockdown period but obviously it's affecting his memory as well so uh, well i i mean i can't i can't say anything on the subject however perhaps it's a question we can maybe ask uh, frankie parker and um, and pete langley now that he's uh, he's back in 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 the new newly formed house of cricket uh, which is not so much cricket especially with pete and pete and frank but um, a question for another podcast perhaps jim um moving moving on to cricket what would you say your your earliest cricketing memories are well i mean <laughs> I mean, to kind of set the scene, really, uh, Craig and I come from a, an entirely Glaswegian family, uh, a very football-centric family, uh, and, and football pretty much was central to, to the family life. Uh, so playing cricket really wasn't massively on on the horizon, really. And I think the earliest memories in terms of playing are probably with the older the older kids in the cul-de-sac that, that, we, that we grew up in. So maybe, I don't know, six or seven. And it, it was probably, I probably wasn't, until about eight or nine, I actually got into to actually playing cricket and I was sort of going over training. At, it was Parkside then. They were starting up a junior section and DC and Pete Huff, an old stalwart of Parkside, was setting up the junior section there on a Friday evening and we were doing training over there indoor in the winter and outdoor in the summer. Uh, and I think from there, I think my earliest recollections really in terms of competitive games 
firstly, Junior was was actually a, a primary school game involving uh, Upton Priory, where I went, uh, and St Albans, another local primary school. And actually, Chris Moores, and I think Big Tatey might have been playing for, for St Albans as well that day. I can always remember Chris Moores uh, as a sort of young lad, massive glasses, like very much like a young Eddie the Eagle. Uh, and he was running in from, well, I think his run-up was as long as Eddie the Eagles as well, to be honest. I think he came steaming in from Eton Bank, uh, and he actually bowled quite quick for a nine-year-old. And I can remember that game, and I think we actually may have lost that. I think I got run out trying to take a single to the keeper. Because uh, obviously, primary school cricket, certainly my primary school, uh, it was it was village, you know, it was really village. When we were training, it was like a scene at Kez, to be honest, to be quite to be quite frank. So that's probably the earliest game. And I think in terms of earliest earliest sort of memories of a senior game is probably, I mean, I must have been maybe ten playing a Sunday game for Mac, bowling very dubious left arm off spin. I think. Uh, so that'll be that'll be the earliest memories I think in terms of actual playing time. On the on the DC podcast, as you alluded to, and, and as he regaled us, uh, he mentioned that you began at, uh, sort of cricket at Parkside. Was that your first sort of formal club? No, because it was a strange setup back in those days. So obviously, Parkside and, and Mac were two separate clubs, and they played in different leagues. Really, throughout my junior time, I played under 13s on a Sunday with with Mac. Uh, I played under 14s with Mac on a Friday night, and, and lastly then 15s with Mac as well. But alongside that, I was also playing for Parkside in leagues there. So I played under 15s during the week for Parkside, and the 17s all when I was about sort of 13. So I really kind of played for two clubs, um, and, it, and I played. I started to play senior cricket at Mac when I was 12, uh, and I played sort of half a season in the second team at Mac, sort of in and out. Um, batting down the order fielding didn't particularly enjoy it and that was the time where Parkside asked me to go over and play for them sort of senior cricket and I was only 13 at the time and, and DC and Jason Knight were heavily involved there and, and I'd known DC and, and, and Jason since I was young obviously going over you know with the junior stuff and whatever else so they invited me to go over to play there from a 13 year old and I spent a few years playing over at Parkside and senior stuff whilst playing third team back on a Sunday and a variety of, of junior cricket before eventually coming back over to Mac when I was about 15 to play senior cricket. DC actually did mention uh, about you playing for, for Parkside in the podcast, but I don't think because of the way the timelines of the episodes work out, you will have actually been able to hear this yet. But he um, right. he, he did mention that uh, he remembers you making uh, your debut, I think he said it was for, for Parkside first team, as a sort of 13-year-old. Um, and he said he said two things. He said you were a very good gloveman at that point, and he said that you couldn't hit it off the square. That's a lie. I think I hit it off the square at least once. <laughs> would you Would you care to counter either of those claims? Well, to be fair, I was about four foot tall, so it was a good job getting it off the square anyway. Well, I think I might have edged a few through slips. That probably counts. But, uh, but I mean, it, it, was, it was a great time for me. I think, I think when I was younger... Um, and I went to play at Parkside when I was 13. It was a great opportunity for me because I was really starting to get into keeping wicket. Uh, I was really enjoying keeping and sort of trying to build the skills. And, and there was just zero chance of it, of, it, of it happening for me, really playing at, at Mac on a Saturday, say, for example, in the twos. It just wasn't going to happen. So it was a really good opportunity for me. I really enjoyed it. The standard the standard was actually was, was, was pretty good. I mean, contrary to the thoughts of what some people at Mac perhaps thought at the time, um, the standard was good. I had the opportunity to go there and play in, in the league side. I think I played in the league side as, as a 14-year-old, I think, which was sort of, I think I was the youngest player, I think, to play in the league side by about three or four years, I think, at that point. So that was a really nice achievement and a great experience. It really helped me sort of build skills playing competitive cricket mm. on a Saturday afternoon. And, uh, and sometimes, I mean, the deck at Parkside is a good deck. Uh, the one thing I would say, sometimes the decks in, uh, elsewhere in the league weren't particularly great, but what they did do, it was actually a real test for my keeping and really helped my hands over the years and being quite reactive. And it was a good couple of years I had over there and uh, it, it sort of set me up in good stead to come back over to Mac when I was sort of around about 15 and, and, and sort of went from there. Yeah, this is something obviously with me playing the majority of my cricket on, on the Parkside pitch still. I always enjoy when some of the younger lads sort of break into to the third team and perhaps they get get the first gig or a few gigs or whatever and I, I remember it happening um with young brad porter 
Um, so he he played a few games to not last season, but the season before that. I think he played the last couple of games, maybe. And um, you know, very promising up and coming cricketer, probably already better than his dad. Um, certainly bowls better. Um, but I remember him sort of rocking up on Parkside and you know, sort of enjoying it and and looking like he really was having a great time. Batted quite nicely. Um, and then he played an away game and he sort of turned up and 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 looked at what I will describe as a pitch uh, and it certainly wasn't a pitch and I I think his face was just absolutely horrified at the, at the state of this wicket he'd seen and, and I think it's 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 a very good point that you make that um, we are incredibly lucky to have a facility like Parkside where frankly our second pitch is better than probably some people's first pitches no it is which is a real testament to our, our ground staff but it, it does make me it does make me laugh when I see the young lads who uh you know, it's a bit of an old-fashioned expression, but they don't know they're born, and then they rock up at you know Cheadle Hume third pitch, and um, and and it's like a mud bath, and and they suddenly realise that actually you don't get to play on a beautiful beautiful roads every week. No, no, that's quite right. And I mean, in the county league, I mean, certainly by and large, we are spoiled with with good decks in the main. I think I did see some interesting things. I can remember playing somewhere like Norbury, I think it was, and I'm, and I'm sure there was like a bunch of dandelions on a length or something like that. <laughs> you know, it was ridiculous at times, but uh, but it, it was it was going to be. I never lost my connection to Mac because cause, cause what I was able to do then, even though I was playing Saturday cricket at Parkside, I still played for Mac threes because I wanted to continue to play with, with Mac uh, and I was allowed to do that because of the way that the league rules worked and obviously I played junior cricket, 15s and 17s, everything still through. So I never, ever really sort of, left Mac as such. I didn't want to do that because obviously, you know, in the forefront of my mind was always that at some point I was going to, you know, look to come back and play Saturday cricket at Mac and that's obviously what I did when I was sort of 15-ish. So that was always a plan and that's how it worked out. And did you, uh, I mean, obviously, um, as has been mentioned before, we're, we're incredibly lucky to, to have the infrastructure that we do for our, um, for our, our youngsters and our, our junior cricket. But I think even, um, you know, back when you're, you were playing sort of junior cricket and, and training I, I assume you receive quite a lot of formal coaching is, is uh, there any any good stories or anyone you want to talk about from you know being coached either at Parkside or at Macclesfield as, as a junior yeah I think I think both really I think uh, I think uh, you know people like DC and particularly Pete Huff I mean you might know, not know Pete Huff he was an old stalwart like I said earlier on played for Parkside for years and years scored scored loads and loads of runs at Parkside uh, and they were really uh, in charge of kicking off their junior sections, a lot of coaching over there. They gave up a lot of their time, um, and were were a very good influence on on my career early on. Uh, and likewise at Mac, that I mean, the coaching at Mac has changed now. I think it's more professional uh, in setup. You know, guys like Alfie and now yours, and and the coaches that work alongside of those guys are doing a terrific job. But I think even even back when I was younger. Uh, at Mac, there were some there were some terrific characters there, and some and some really important coaches. Somebody who you may have heard spoken about is a chap called Steve Patterson. Mm-hmm. Um, now Steve Patterson is more latterly spoken about in the context of his fabulous tees, but, but Steve Patterson was a real a real key linchpin of the junior section when I was a young lad. And uh, Steve's youngest, Simon and Craig, grew up together, played football together, played cricket together, and uh, you know, sort of family friends sort of thing. And Steve was great for me um, when I was younger. Steve used to take me down to down to Kingston there. He would be giving me David Gower videos. He'd be giving me all sorts of coaching manuals and all sorts and really put a lot of time in with my coaching. And he was a great influence. Uh, and he ran the, what was the, the Friday cricketing sort of training school down at, at Kings, as, 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 as it is. Um, there was other people there who were, who were very influential in terms of coaching. There was a chap called Reg Davenport who is... Well, was now probably you know teacher at Kings who who played at Mac in the eighties, a left-hand opening bat, scored lots of runs. He was uh, he was a good figure for me also being a left-hander at that time. I did bat up the order, uh, and likewise, obviously, a face you'll be familiar with, Steve Porno Tash Scrag, who was down at the club on a Saturday watching. He uh, he he was a coacher and a very good player when he was younger, very good bowler. Um, and, and, and he did a, did a great job coaching the juniors as well. Excellent. Um, so one thing I do want to just, just talk about briefly is, is step away from Mac for a second before we come back uh, 
in a little bit later on in your career. You uh, you spent uh, some years in the, in the wilderness, shall we say, away from Macclesfield, um, living over in Leeds. Uh, I assume you're at university, and then probably stayed on to do some some further training and and, and studying and that sort of thing. But I'm I believe I'm right in saying you you, you did play some cricket over there. So how was cricket um, kind of yeah on the wrong side of the Pennines? Dare I say it? It was it was interesting. It was good. It was good. I mean, I I finished up at. At Mac in 2004, so I was halfway through a law degree. Uh, I didn't have an awful lot of time. I was travelling back from Leeds, and I kind of felt at that point I had to sort of really focus on university. Then after university, I was lucky enough to to secure a, a sort of grad scheme training contract up there, um, and I spent three years doing my accounting exams up there. And and anyone who's done the accountancy exams knows that it takes quite a lot of time, uh, and sort of playing cricket is just just not really an option. Um, but I did have a little bit of time and, and somebody who I was working with uh, was asking me quite a lot to play. And he, he, played, he played threes at a club called Adult, who play in the, in the Air Wharf League. And he kept asking me to play. And uh, this was about 2009, I think. And, and after a raft of exams that I'd done, I decided to say, OK, right, I'll play. So I say, he goes, come along, just play on a Saturday. It, it's threes. Like, if you don't like it, you don't enjoy it, then, then don't worry about it. So I went down for a net, met some of the lads. You know, enjoyed it. Nice bunch of lads. Went to play on Saturday for threes. Um, turned up, keeping wicket, took a couple of catches, batting. Maybe got I think about forty odd or something, and really enjoyed it. So then, basically, over the next few weeks, so uh, within two weeks, I was keeping for that first team, which is a very similar standard to Divi One and Cheshire County League. Some very good players in it. A lot of ex sort of like Yorkshire Prem players, Bradford League players. That was very enjoyable. So I played, I played sort of maybe six, seven games for those guys. But obviously it was always going to be quite difficult uh, given I had a lot going on with work and, and my exams. So it, it, it was good fun. It was different. But what it, what it did do actually is it, it, it gave me the, the thirst for playing cricket again. Because to be honest, when, when I was at uni and I, and I stopped playing at Mark Saints for 2004, something like that, I, I didn't really miss it that much because I had so much other stuff going on and I, I didn't really know whether I'd ever actually get back to playing, to be honest. But playing for adult, even for that short spell, gave me the thirst to play, but it also made me realise as well is that, is that Mac's a very unique club. It's got a very unique culture and it made me realise how much I wanted to play and also how much I wanted to play back at Mac. I can remember after one game that I played, and I played at Otley, and I came straight back here afterwards because we were going out, and I was out with Curly and Chris Moores, and Tasty was there, and whatever, and we were still talking about the game. And it was uh, obviously we were talking about different games because I've been playing in a game sort of 100 miles away. But that kind of feeling, stood around talking about the game afterwards, it kind of gave me that first play. And around about that time as well, I was sort of starting to formulate my plans in terms of what I was going to do uh, once I qualified and everything like that. And it all kind of started to fall into place, really, and they ended up sort of moving back to back to Macclesfield in late in the late of the summer of 2010, and really made the decision then that I was going to have a full pre-season, a full full winter, and sort of really get back to playing because I really, really realised at that point that I wanted to play cricket and I wanted to play cricket back at Mac. I think I moved back in about the August time, and there would have been sort of four or five games to go. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll be moving back home. There's no point playing for four games this season. I'll just have a fresh run at 2011. And that's what I did. And in 2011, I think I played about 13, 14 games or something like that. Uh, I largely played um, in the twos. I was coming back. And, and to be honest, it was, it was quite tough. I found, I found it tough having sort of seven years pretty much of no cricket. It, it is difficult to get back into you know the full days of the game, to keep them wicket week after week, 50 overs. Um, but slowly but shortly things started to kind of come together and that culminated at the end of that season with the keeping for the ones uh, away at Alderley uh, in, a, in a in a sort of very tense game which sort of set me up nicely and then sort of made me, made me really feel sort of ready then to, to sort of step back into the ones and play and that's from 2012 then I sort of was keeping for the ones so so that was a, that was an important year 2011 it was a difficult year at times playing and sometimes it felt like I'd never seen a baton before in my life or I'd never had a pair of gloves on slowly but surely like I say it sort of came came all came together towards the end of the season and um, obviously with your, your sort of rise to, to keeping for the first team obviously with, with being a batsman as well as a keeper um, I assume very generous very good you get the cheap shots because I will if you don't no I, I assume um, you, you probably had a couple of sort of influences and, and people that have helped you get to that stage of, of keeping for the ones and, and a bit latterly in your career you know occasionally having a bit of a stint as an opener um, is, is there anyone in particular 
particular that's kind of helped you and, and kind of helped you along in, in that regard, both with batting and, and keeping? Well, it's, it's funny, really, because in terms of keeping, I never really had that much coaching. I was kind of very much self-taught, I think, really. Because when I was younger and I was sort of in and around sort of representative, representative cricket, I actually bowled. Um, Whereas my keeping was something that, that I just didn't I didn't do there when I went on sort of the Cheshire development course and things like that I was I was very much bowling so like I say I was very much self taught and, and I first kept wicket for the ones in 1999 uh, as, a, as a 15 year old so I, I had done it before and you know obviously kept a bit before that and really I think the first time that that anybody sort of really properly got got to grips with with my keeping was James Crossway and he was just an incredible influence really uh, and obviously. The, the stories about Crossy coming over in 2012 and, you know, all, all the nights out and the banjos and the swanjos and all this kind of thing. Uh, but Crossy was a, was, was, was a brilliant character at the club, you know, in terms of helping people. And, and I know Carl alluded to this in terms of his batting um, in his podcast. But the way James Crossfit was with me, obviously he kept wicket at a very high level and, you know, sort of still does, but he was brilliant with me. He didn't really sort of seek to, to change much of what I was doing. And I remember the first time I met Cross and did some work with him, he said to me, you've got, to, you've got to benefit it because you can catch. And I thought, it's a ridiculous thing. So I was like, well, all keepers can catch. And he's like, he's like, no, mate, you'd be surprised. Like a lot of keepers can't genuinely catch. They're overcoached. They're very mechanical. And, and, and he said to me, like, I know if I throw the ball to you on either side, chances are you're going to catch it. I'm backing you to catch it. Um, but what he did is he sort of made sort of tweaks to, to, to my, to my, to things like my, um, my weight of balance when, when you know, obviously, ball was running in, uh, feet position, head position, back position, my length of catch, and he never sought to really change loads and loads of things and start it from scratch. He just tweaked things, you know, bit by bit. We did loads of work with him firing balls at my feet at a tennis racket when I was up to the stumps, and I kind of felt really within sort of three or four weeks of Crossy being here, my game just just really kicked up and just ticked on and. Um, he was a great guy to work with and a very smart cricketer as well. People often think he's, you know, sort, sort, sort of daft for all the stories of, of going out on the nights out and stuff. But he's a very smart cricketer, Crossy. Uh, and he had a lot of time for people who were willing to listen to, you know, to what he had to say. Excellent. And, um, yeah, and in terms of the batting, was he much of an influence? Not really. I mean, in terms of my batting, when I was younger, I used to bat up the order and, and scored quite a lot of runs at junior level and things like that. But, but as I got older, I kind of sort of really more focused on my, on my keeping because that's really what I, what I enjoy. My batting, I, I, I do enjoy it. I mean, I batted up and down the order loads at Mac, really. Uh, and I even had a stint for the, in 20, 2018, second half of the season, opening the batting. And I think in terms of the batting, I think someone who's been a, a real influence uh, and, and given the amount of grief he gives me, I can't believe I'm going to sit here and compliment him so much. But, but Cal, Cal has spent a lot of time with me working on, working on my game. Uh, again, very much like Crossy, very very smart, very willing to help people, are willing to listen, and and someone who makes batting sound quite easy. I know that's very easy to say for someone as good as Cal, but uh, I think anybody in life, whether it's successful in business or very intelligent or whatever they are, they make things sound quite simple, and that's what Cal does. And and he made some sort of slight tweaks in the game in terms of how we're standing, head position, things like that, and it really really did uh, bring my batting on an awful lot. And Cal and I had a great time opening the batting. Granted, he scored most of the runs. Um, <laughs> I had a great time watching from the non-strikers end. Um, but we had some great partnerships, actually. Put on, you know, remember some games that we've had, putting on quite a few at Stockport and some big partnerships against Bolly and a couple of other ones, I think, as well. So Cal's been a great help. And he really is, a, as well as a key asset on the pitch, really, uh, Cal. He's a great asset off the pitch as well. And he does a lot of work. Sometimes I think goes unnoticed at times with... With, with, with people in terms of their batting and everything like that and hopefully uh, you know the, the, the younger generations that, that are around the club now will continue to benefit from somebody like Carl's knowledge who's played such a great song Well I don't want to give you any more opportunity to say nice things about Khaled Sowers because um, frankly nobody wants to hear that No I'm joking I, I, I completely agree with you Jim I think um, you know very much like Crossy um, Cal is, is someone that will give you as much time as he can to help you improve um, providing you know you're willing to listen to him um, and given that he's tried to help me with my betting I'm, I'm prepared to say he has the patience of a saint um so yeah no no more positivity towards Khaled Sowers I think he's had his lot now Jim um 
Moving swiftly onwards, I do kind of want to talk about some of your, your stats and, and a few games uh, for Macclesfield. Um, so I'm going to run over the batting first. Usual caveat, this uh, collection of statistics does not include, um, I think, quite a large uh, period um, or portion of, of cricket that you've played. But it is what it is. Um, we've got a few games in 2003 and 2004, and then um, most of the games on since you return in 2011 um, through to 2019 so you have played a total of 170 games with 131 innings 41 not outs scoring 17,000 scoring 1,700 runs with a high score of 64 uh, with five fifties um, and a very paltry meager 15 ducks which I'm I'm terribly disappointed in um so yeah that's your your batting statistics for what they are the other thing that I do want to focus on obviously with you being a wicketkeeper is your uh wicketkeeping statistics um you have uh 176 catches 21 stumpings um and there are a couple of of kind of standout years 2017 you took 30 catches um and 2018 and, and 2012 you've you've taken sort of 24 25 catches um so some 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 big numbers there i think you are Probably comfortably the, the, the highest um, uh, catch taker I each season um, for, well, certainly for, I don't know, the last six or seven years, I would imagine. Um, so, yeah, as as always, I say, there may well be some, some catches, which I'm sure you're going to claim are not accredited on play cricket, but that's, uh, 176 catches is, is quite a few. Um, so, yeah, that's your, your statistics. There are some bowling stats, Jim, and oh yes, we are not we're not going to talk about this just yet. But for anyone who's wondering why I'm ignoring the bowling stats, it, it will be coming. So so stay tuned if you weren't going to anyway. Moving swiftly onwards, there's a there's a few games that I, I, I want to talk about, um, if I may. Um, the the first is your actually your first recorded game, um, and this is from 12th of July 2003. Um, and this was Ermston's second team versus Macclesfield's second team. Um, Mac won the toss and elected to bat and posted 158 all out in 46.2 overs. Yourself, you batted at number three that day. I can't tell you who opened the batting because it says unsure, but his partner was uh, a certain Steve Moores who was run out for 20. Um, yeah, Mac, Mac posting 158, some, some other key names in there, Chris Moores, Tony Moores, Ian Tate. Um, what do you remember about this? Because you, you scored 63 not out in, in, in a total of 150 odd. That's, that's not bad going. Do, do you remember this game? I'm, I'm assuming you probably do. Well, well, it's funny you should say that because the night before we had a barbecue around at Tatey's house, which got a bit out of hand. Uh, um, we had quite a few beers. I cannot believe that for a second. You're trying to tell me it got out of hand with Ian Tate. Well, well, well Tate is quite sensible in those days. And, and actually, <laughs> oh, time, stop it. Well, well, no, no, Tate and I were working <laughs> together at the time, and it was, um, it was. So I was working. Uh, I had various placements when I came back uh, in the summers from university, and, and one, one year I was working with Tate, and we had uh, we had a barbecue here. So it was like well, people from work and stuff, and we had a few. We had a few. Uh, in fact, actually, I do remember waking up on the sofa. I think we fell asleep in Tacey's mum and dad's lounge on the sofa. And when I woke up, uh, Tacey had a very wet crotch. And I was a bit concerned I was going to have to wake up and deliver some fairly bad news to him. It was quite an awkward conversation. But actually, it turned out he just tipped a can of Worthington's all over himself. <laughs> that was good news. So I remember that. And I remember the next morning, I was not feeling very well at all, going to Ermston and... I knew I was batting up the order and I was keeping wicket. So it was six, one half a dozen of the other. So I was thinking, what, what, what happens here? What, what do I want least? I'm trying to think he was captain that day. It might have been Sodgy. Sodge might have been captain. It he was, wins the it toss. It was Sodge, yeah. It was Simon Jones. Simon Jones, yes. Yeah. So he wins the toss. We elect to bat. And I can remember it was glorious. But I think it had been wet before. So the pitch was quite wet. It wasn't very nice. We're batting. Now I'm at number three, so I'm thinking, oh, this is all right. This is OK. I'll stay here for a bit. Steve Moores is opening the batting. He'll, he'll, this is absolutely fine. He'll, he'll cover it off. And, and we had the... In fact, I think, he, I think he was opening the batting that day. I think he might be the last from Kings. The next, the next big star out of Kings who, who were expecting to score loads. So that was absolutely fine. Anyway, he's out first over. And I'm in. And I'm just thinking, oh, this is bad news. 
they go out to that for Steve Moores and it's tough. It's a, it, I can remember it being a real, real slog. It was warm and wasn't feeling very well, to put it mildly. But I think Steve Moores and I uh, managed to battle away on quite a tough deck. Now, Ermson's usually an all right deck when it's dry, um, but it's wet. Uh, and I think Steve Moores and I may have put a few on. Uh, and then, unfortunately, uh, Steve Moores got run out. Um, I think there was a bit of a yes-no and a bit of jousting before he was stranded and I was at the other end. So, Steve Moores is out. That's bad news. Um, he's our best player. and I potentially might have run him out. So, Steve Moores goes off. When I say off, he stops on the boundary. Now, Steve Moores is quite a placid man. He stops. He turns around uh, and gives it a bit of a teapot. He's like a very angry Larry Grayson. And I can just see him staring at me. And I'm like, oh, no, this is bad news. So he goes upstairs and he shuts the door, slams the door. So I'm thinking, I'd better stay out here now and get a few runs. And it was a real slog, a real, real slog. So I stuck it out for, you know, 40-odd overs for, for 60. Quite quick for me, actually, that, to be fair. I was going to say, yeah, that's, that's rapid. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think I might have had a, another decent partnership with someone. But I think, actually, on that day, there might have been a hat-trick in there as well. Um, I seem to remember a bloke bowling big inducers and Sodji coming out on a hat-trick ball with him saying to me, what's he doing with it? And I'm like, he's bowling open-chested, massive inducers. Yeah, 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 got it. Goes down, takes guard, lad comes down, let's go with it. Pre-meditated leave, middle stump, out the ground. Brilliant. Thanks for that. So I've just slogged my guts out, feeling very poorly, and some blokes just come in and gone on the hat-trick, leaving it. I wasn't very happy, but although not as unhappy as Steve Moore's. So that's fine. So we end up with close to 150. So probably not on an ordinary day the most competitive score. But we've got Steve Moore's bowling. And Steve Moore's uh, played a few games that year, I think, and he took a disgusting amount of wickets for very few runs. Uh, did he, did he, how many wickets did he get that day? You got the card, the card set? 14 overs, 8 maidens, 6 for 12. Fabulous. Because, and, I, and actually, I can remember this because, I mean, I mean honestly, Steve Morse is bowling and if it was a boxing match, it would have been stopped. I'm not even joking. I'm, I'm not. I felt like, I felt like I'd take my jumper off and throw him in the towel in for the, for the blokes who were batting. And, and it was the first time I have ever seen a bloke do a river dance on a cricket pitch trying to play a shot. I'm not even joking. So Steve Morse had these boys all over the shop with arm balls. He's bowling balls from behind the umpire. So if you've ever seen Steve Morse bowl, he used to bowl a ball from about 30 yards. I mean, it was incredible. I'm not totally ashamed to say that I have talked him into a couple of appearances for the third team. Um, and and he's bowled and I, I've had to take him off. Because, <laughs> not, because, not because he gets bags of wickets. It's just nobody can lay a bat on it. Honestly, honestly. I mean, I mean, I mean to be fair... I mean, at that point, I mean, going back to 2003, I mean, Steve, I don't know how old Steve is now. I mean, he may only been in his sort of 30s at that point. He probably should have been playing first team cricket stuff. But it was glorious. Us having, I mean, I was keeping wickets here, and it, it was great because you knew every time the ball was coming to you. Um, but it was, it was embarrassing at times. And this bloke, Steve, I think Steve, arm ball, he's lob one up to this bloke. He's literally done a six or seven step straight leg, Michael Flatley style river dance down the wicket and kicked it away. Never seen anything like it in my entire life. And I think we may have won the game that day just by a few runs. And Steve Morse just, just hammered them into submission, I think. You did. Um, Mac, Mac ran out winners bowling out Ermston for 132 in, in 48 overs. As I said, with a with a, a lovely 14 overs, 8 maidens, 6 for 12 from Steve Moores with a with a, a glorious 0.86 economy. That's filthy, isn't it, that? Filthy. <laughs> it's, it's naughty. It's very, very naughty. Um, the the next game I'd like to talk about is actually one that um, you uh, sort of uh, reminded me of because this is a game that's that's brought up in the in the, the in the adults of Macclesfield first team folklore. Um, so this was uh, Macclesfield first team versus Didsbury first team from the 11th of August 2012. Didsbury won the toss and elected to bat and posted 186 for six off their 55 overs. In reply, Mac uh, squeaked over. Over the line, dare I say it, by one run. We drilled over the line <laughs> in in fifty four point three overs. So Matt won the game one hundred and eighty seven eight down um, with uh, with three balls to go. I think it would it would only be right to to let you take this away and tell us about this game. What I can what I can remember is 
I think Cal was captain because Barney wasn't playing. Yeah, that's right, because Barney wasn't playing because he phoned me after the game, just talking gibberish down the phone. I couldn't understand what he was saying because he was absolutely steaming. Uh, I think he'd been at a wedding or something. And Craig wasn't playing either because uh, I can remember Craig was dancing around in the change room after the game, actually. So so we were, we were chasing 180 and I can remember certain things from the game. I can remember Tom Parth getting out off his foot, hitting one onto his big toe and it ballooning up in the air. I can remember James Crossrate playing a very patient innings that day. I think you think he might have got about forty odd or something, maybe forty six. He got forty six. Yeah. So so yeah, he, he, he it was a real patient innings for him that day on, on quite a difficult deck. I mean, it, 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 it turns quite a lot at Didsbury, and it was it, it was difficult that day. And I can remember us being sort of really really in in the mire. And at this point, we were we were flying high towards the top of the top of the table. Really, uh, we were having a great season, and we needed a hundred and eighty odd. And I think we were, I think I went in at, at nine, maybe. And we had about five overs to go. And I think we needed the best part of 50, I think. Yeah, to, to, to interject and just, just lob some stats in, in there for you. It was it was yourself at nine and, and a certain Leroy, uh, Liam Markey uh, at eight. And the, the, the score was 141 for seven um, when, you, when you two uh, sort of, joined each other at the crease yeah that's right yeah that, that, that's right that's right and i think uh i think this sort of uh this sort of situation sort of tailor-made for melrose but unfortunately it's usually craig and not necessarily me going in and, and leroy and i set about trying to get this this target and uh and, i'm assuming you batted with leroy in the past oh yeah yeah and have you ever seen that the, the meme that goes around and it's kermit looking in the mirror and he's got kermit dressed up as a grim reaper looking back at him saying the complete opposite of it I can remember talking to Leroy saying, well, let's just try and get a couple of singles here and just keep things moving. And he's just looking at me going, yeah, 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 yeah. And Leroy started to swing from the hip and he's connected with a couple. There was a bit there was a bit of a Benny Hill style feeling going on as well. I can remember one going through somebody's hands down at Long Gone and going for six and, and whatever. And things were going quite nicely. And I picked up a four, I think, a sweeping one. And, and uh, I think we needed maybe sort of 30 off the last three. And uh, I was on strike and... There was a lad who, was, who, who played quite a bit for Cheshire, one a spinner like called Johnny Force, it was bowling, and he's, uh, he's turning it quite a bit at Didsby, the ball turns, and we, we, we need a bit, of a, bit of a bit of a score here. We need, we need to start scoring. We're getting a little bit further behind the rate, uh, and apparently somebody on the boundary said, oh, we could do with a six now, and apparently Craig, my own brother, turned around and said, Jim's on strike, there's no chance of that happening. Well, he was quite wrong, because the ball then disappeared to Burnage, as I managed to pick one up uh, and clock it onto, onto Wilmslow Road. <laughs> uh, Leroy continued with his big drill as well, and he was lapping it all over the shop. Uh, and I think eventually we got over the got over the line with about three or four balls to spare. And uh, it was a brilliant game. It was it was one of those games where we were flying high towards top of the top of the league, and people were starting to think we've got a chance here. It was sort of mid August, and that was the game where we really thought, hang on a minute, we could actually do this now. Obviously, it didn't work out for us in the end. But at that start point, you know, at that point in time, people really sort of started to uh, started to started to believe it might be able to do it. And I do remember a rogue tweet getting sent out by somebody, and we've never ever found out who did this, uh, talking about a big drill being left behind somewhere. But we never, like I say, never figured out who who actually sent it. Do you think it was Carl Burgess? I, I don't think you can associate Carl Burgess with a big drill, do you? Uh, no comment. Um, I'm sure Dave Bostock might have something to say on the matter. Anyway, moving swiftly onwards, uh, Jim, there there are a couple of other things I want to discuss. The first is um, uh, a game in which you you took five catches. Uh, I don't know how many times uh, you you've done this uh, in a, in a game or are aware of the fact that you've done this in a game, but I thought it would be be worth um, sort of talking about you keeping as well. So this was from the 19th of May 2012. Uh, it's Macford. First team versus Toff first team. Um, Macclesfield actually won the game by uh, by nine wickets. Um, Toff were all out for 149, um, and that day you took uh, five catches uh, off uh, Jack Ward, Craig Melrose, Barney Cutbill, Jim uh, Craig Melrose again, and Craig Melrose again. So yeah, do you, do you remember anything about this um, about this game? I remember. I remember. Uh, I mean, obviously Toff Toff Toff's always a very tough game. And I think this was a game early on in that season where we we were sort of starting to come together as a team, really, I think. And that day, it was a very, very polished fielding performance. We, we, we bowled very well. 
Um, I was very pleased to 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 get five captures behind the stumps. And uh, and I've talking before about crossing and the work that Crossy was doing with me in terms of keeping. This was this was the game where I really felt sort of like things were sort of really coming together. Uh, spent quite a lot of time up at the stumps that day. Uh, to, to Barney, took a nice catch off Barney up to the stumps. So that was all nice. But really, it was a great team performance that day, and I think that uh, I think in the end it was a very convincing win, wasn't it? We won by nine wickets. I can remember I can remember Rick Huff getting quite a few that day. He batted very nicely. Uh, Huffy now now playing back at Bolly, yeah, you know, obviously an exceptional player. I remember Cal that day got got a few as well. I think uh, I think that day Cal batted actually really well, and that was the start of uh, start of the point where Cal really started to. Uh, to start scoring sort of really heavily and that was the point where he started getting into the Cheshire teams and obviously scoring so heavily for the next sort of 18, 24 months with them. But it was a, it was one of those games where I think that, again, I was talking about the Didsby there, the, the effect that it had on us really sort of made us think actually we were really going in the right direction as a team, particularly after a good year, the year before in 2011, going away and winning at softer ground that's always pretty tough to go to. Uh, it, was, it was a great boost for us that day. Uh, it kind of set us up nicely uh, for the rest of the season. Now, as I alluded to earlier, I do want to discuss some some bowling statistics with you. And I have a feeling there may, or perhaps I'm wrong, there may or may not be a bit of a bowling anomaly in here, Jim. See, your stats as they are on play cricket are that you've bowled 15 overs, two maidens, with a best of 1 for 49. Now, it says that you bowled four overs in a game in 2003, which is highly probable. No, no. Was that Alton Park? Uh, yeah, four overs. No, that, that was Craig. I think, I think that was just a mistake. I think back in those days, no one had a clear play cricket work, did they? So uh, somehow I ended up with those figures. I've seen that before. That definitely, definitely wasn't me. Fine. Okay. So that rules out the first anomaly. The next one is that you allegedly bowled 11 overs, two maidens, one for 55 in 2015. Uh, playing think... for, for Macclesfield's second team against Toft's second team. And the most unbelievable part of this is that you opened the bowling unbelievable is is this true can you confirm this no it no, is 100 percent true <laughs> this wasn't your brother i was convinced it was the other way around i thought 2003 were going to be your overs and and this was going to be your brother so you you opened the bowling in a second team game and bowled 10 overs two maidens one for 49 yeah glorious as well Beautiful. tell me Tell me, uh, normally I don't want to listen to people that don't bowl bowling uh, statistics and reports, but I genuinely want to hear this. Well, I, I, I can remember, I think we were really short on bowling and DC was captain at the time. And, uh, and by the way, DC and I have been in this film before because about 20 years before he convinced me to bowl once a park side on a Saturday afternoon, albeit this time was a bit more successful this time round. So we were really short on bowling and I bowled a bit in the nets and DC said to me, well, what do you mean? you might have to bowl on Saturday and I thought he meant I might have to bowl a few overs five overs in the middle somewhere but DC had other ideas that, and, and him and I were opening the bowling so not only did I open the bowling he made me bowl 10 overs but I actually bowled pretty well um, I think I think out of the 50 that I went for I think 25 of those came in about two overs and I think probably about 15 came or about certainly double figures came in, in the last over uh, I can remember Obviously, got a wicket, LBW, absolutely plum. You got Chris got- Drummond. Um, I don't know if you uh, if you've played against him since or whatever, but I've I've pretty sure I've played against him uh, versus Toff before. And, and from memory, Jim, I'm, I'm not even bigging him up here. I have a feeling he's not he's not a bad bat actually. Mate, you should have seen the ball. It was an absolute beauty. Fabulous <laughs> length, fabulous length. Drilled him on the pads. And he was out. I mean, honestly, mate, he was, he was absolutely plum. He should have been out the next week as well. It was out. I'm not even joking. <laughs> and Rod, Roger gave it. Roger only gives it when it's out. But the worst thing was, was uh, about two overs later, I think they had a lad who got 100 that day. They did, uh, yes. Yeah, they did. So anyway, so I'm bowling and it's, it's shaping nicely. It's swinging, it's swinging away, swinging away from the left hand. No, you're swinging, <laughs> in, swinging into the right hand. It was honestly glorious, I'm telling you. Um, and, and, and the lad who gets 100, uh, he snicks one. Uh, unfortunately uh, for our our slip cord and the keeper, it's like a scene from the Pearl Harbor movie. They're all diving in opposite directions. The ball goes through the slips and goes to four. So there would have been another wicket. Where was the snipe? Well, I don't know, but I'm trying to think he was keeping wicket that day. I think I think Marty Fry was keeping wicket. He went for a bag of chips down leg side. Obviously, <laughs> the ball was just swinging so much that he just he just was unsighted. It was, it was going around corners. 
So I was very disappointed not to get a second wicket that day, but uh, it took me about two weeks to recover. I've never heard such guff in my entire life, but I am genuinely pleased to hear that, that actually it was you. And it's a little wonder to me that DC was captain, and that's all I'll say on the matter. Um, moving moving swiftly onwards, Jim, having talked about uh, you know some, some stats and some cricket and stuff, I think it's probably becoming clear to those that don't know you that you, you are a pretty good... Um, pretty good at the stories lots of good anecdotes and, and a bit a bit of banter thrown in there but um after the success of, of rob porter's word association um i i felt like you might like to give this a go as well so i'd, I'd like to give can we use phrase associations it have to be words yeah no no of course yeah it's it doesn't right, have to okay. be one one word answers and um, so i i'm simply going to give you a player and i would like you know some words uh, in, in, that you associate with with these individuals. Um, I, I have a feeling there may maybe a couple of stories that you want to interject when I get to a few of these individuals. But um, we'll uh, we'll we'll try and we'll try and keep it uh, flowing, shall we say? So first on the hit list, Jim Craig Melrose. Farrell. <laughs> 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 I'm only laughing because I know what I'm going to ask you next and then you're going to change your answer. John Birchall. Relentless. Khalid Sawaz. Nuisance. Nick Burtis. Legend. Nick Ross. Pineapple and vodka. Ian Tate. The big man. Tom Parfit. Blonde perm. <laughs> Pete Barron. Bush. <laughs> Otis Palms. Spaceman. James Cross. Shanter. James Crosswaite. Swanjo. Andy Moores. Pest. <laughs> Paolo Fontash. No then. Carl David Burgess. Bookfast. <laughs> Dave Bostock. Wild Animal. Rob Porter. Double Bounce Yorker. <laughs> right, you're going to have to explain what the Double Bouncing Yorker is now. That must be a story. Oh, the Double Bouncing Yorker. Well, I've seen this man bowl some filth over the years. I've had the best seat in the house watching some of this stuff come down, picking up 40 wickets a year. I mean, honestly, the bloke should be in jail. So if I, if I got out some of the balls he's delivered, I'd be phoning the police. I'm not even joking. In fact, I've really phoned the police myself on behalf of the batsman. It's been that bad. So we're playing at Marple and Porter's, you know, getting into, getting into his rhythm. It's coming down at about 25 miles an hour. So he's feeling quite quick. So he then decides to, you know, not go for the quick straight one or the arm ball. He's got this new delivery. So like Shane Warren used to have the flipper and this, that and the other. Ports has got his own one straight out of Malcott, the double bounce Yorker. So I'm keeping. Ports is rocked up. The arm's coming over as slow as Big Ben. Drops halfway down the wicket. I'm like, this isn't going to get there. Then on the second bounce, the bloke tries to sweep it. Hits him on the toe. We've all shouted, obviously, we've appealed. The umpire stood there, just put his head down started shaking his head. And I'm thinking, how can this bloke not give this? And all of a sudden, this hand just comes up and the umpire just stood shaking his hand while he's just triggering this bloke. <laughs> it was probably the most one of those village things I've seen in Premier League cricket, any cricket. It was it was just unbelievable. And I've seen I've seen this man get people out with full tosses, beamers. <laughs> I mean I mean sometimes you're better off as rocking up and bowling left arm. Honestly. Some of the he's bought some great balls over the years as well to be fair, once or twice. But so much filth to come down. I'll edit that bit out, Jim. Don't worry. There's a, there's another little uh, story that you 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 mentioned to me in a message that you would you would like to regale us with, which is about David Bostock um, and a substitution. Oh oh, buzzer! Oh buzzer! The only man I've ever seen subbed off a cricket pitch. Oh yes, I remember this game. So buzzer was playing for us. Won't go into which game it was, and uh, it's quite a warm day, and buzzer's buzzer's feeling the heat. Uh, he's panting a bit. And, well, to be fair, he was fielding like a Subutio man. He was having a bit of a nightmare in the field. And he was just going sort of, he, he was pretty much going side to side. Like when you play table football, he's just not going anywhere. So he, we, have to, we have to get the sub on. Sub comes on, uh, takes two catches and we win the game. It's absolutely <laughs> glorious. So it's the only time I've ever seen a man subbed off a cricket pitch. <laughs> now, talking of Dave Bostock, Jim, he regaled us um, with a story involving himself Mr. Nick Burtis and an incident with your back doors. Um, please, 
I would I would love for you to give us your side of things. I'm sure you know the subject, the uh, the story I'm talking about. Well, to be fair, to be fair to, to Bosley, he probably got about fifty percent of the uh, the story right. Oh, fair. I cannot believe that. That is a that is a lot for Bostock. Well, you know, I mean, we had a rain off. It was early in the season. We rained off, and Bosley wants to go to the rugby. And to be fair to Bosley, this this was in the days before we had a missus. And in the days before he fell into Sarah's handbag and disappeared for about 18 months. So he was very much on the banjo and he was very keen all the time. I mean, you couldn't keep him out of the pub. I mean, for a long while, you couldn't get him anywhere near a pub, but you couldn't keep him out of the pub at this time. So he comes round to mine with Nick Burt. He managed to convince Burt to come down to mine. And, and to be fair, I don't think Burt had much in this. I mean, Bozza was there, obviously climbed the fence. I'm doing something in the house. Next minute, I can just hear bang, bang, bang on the patio doors. They go downstairs and there's there's Bozza stood there like a wild animal, you know, looking all pleased with himself, smug, smiling at me, waving. And I look out the back and there's, there's Burke's kind of stood around the corner a little bit. So made him come round to the front, knock on the door, and we went to the rugby and we had a great day. And the thing is with Bozza though is that what, you know, what he didn't tell you is that uh, we had we had a great day on the, on the, on the, uh, on the gas. We ended up, I think, uh, in, in the bath, uh, as in the pub. We weren't all in the bath together, by the way. That wasn't me in the bath, a load of blokes. Uh, and what it led to is me actually having to revise all of my house security as well. So, uh, <laughs> so thanks for that, Bozzer. Obviously, I got some security cameras. Bozzer's no stranger to getting caught on the security camera, obviously. So he's all right with that. But, uh, but, uh, it was, it was one of those days where, uh, it was a rain off and I think, I think Frank was playing down at, down at Mac. Uh, and we ended up, I think, I think Jem ended up picking us up from the, from the rugby club, actually, I think. Um, and then coming back here, we ended up going to town. This was the days, obviously, pre-children and everything like that, so, uh, so the banjo is very much on the cards. Now, there was a detail included that I must ask you for you, you to confirm or deny. He claims that he had interrupted you hanging a picture, which is the most Jim Melrose thing I've ever heard. Was this true? <laughs> I think I might have been putting a picture together. I don't think I was hanging it on the wall. I mean, Boz is a fantasist. I mean, the bloke tells lies that make Pinocchio blush. So you can't take anything he, take, and he says that he says serious. I mean, honestly, he's just just a nightmare at times. Uh, but I was definitely making a picture, something like that, I think, yeah. Okay. Um, on, I know you mentioned that, that Bert was skulking in the background, trying to avoid being, uh, you know drawn into this um but uh, on the subject of Bert, he he mentioned you in a story on on one of his podcasts uh, a very inf- infamous incident involving you and a cowboy outfit um is there anything you'd like to report from that night out as i understand it uh, according to what bert said he um had a bit of a dance with a few locals is uh, anything you you'd like to confirm or deny about that night and can you also talk us through the cowboy outfit it was a fabulous outfit it was fabulous uh i think i might have got it from ebay i think i mean there's some good outfits that night i mean to be fair bert himself looked like woody out of toy story i don't know if you've seen the pictures uh, I have. And, oh i have <laughs> yeah and I, I think i think curly moore's actually turned up looking like poirot he had a bit of a tash going on I'm not quite sure i don't think i've seen the episode where poirot goes to a cowboy evening um, but but it was it was it was it was towards the end of the summer. I can remember because Dom was over, so uh, all all the girls were out as well. And I think I think there may have been a bit of bit of shenanigans. Uh, maybe later on in the evening, uh, somebody somebody may have said something to Bert and then ran away. I think something like that might have happened. I can't I can't quite remember. It's all a bit hazy. I think they had a they had a fox trot and a quick step. It, it, yeah, it, or a fox trot Oscar, one of the two. I think. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think I tried to have a word with the bloke to to, to get hold of his email address so I could write him a very strongly worded email. And did it go like this? Oh, big man, big man. <laughs> I, I can't remember. I mean, to be honest, I think at one time, I think we ended up in revs, and I think uh, I think the girls ended up sprawled across the floor at one point. I think uh, I think Dom had had a few few too many shandy. She was she was steaming. I think she went for uh, went for a Tom Daly over the bar. I think at one point. <laughs> There are right. There are there are a couple of other things that I I would like to uh, to 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 ask you about. The first is, can you please set the record straight about you and your very many well documented issues with the parking facilities? Well, this is just this is just this is Dave Bostock all over again, isn't it? It's just just his fantasist mind. Uh, I think I think where this came from, and in my eyes, this is a perfectly reasonable question to ask. We were going to. We were going to watch Cal, I think, 
um, playing for Cheshire and we were going to Toft and I just happened to ask, what's the parking like? Because if you played at Toft, there's not a lot of parking. It's a minor counties game. There's probably going to be a fair old crowd there. I thought that was a perfectly reasonable question. Dave Bostock, unbelievable. Haven't heard the end of this for about seven years. Parking situation, big man, parking situation. Whenever I go around to his house, he's got a parking space reserved for me, which don't get me wrong, I'm very grateful for. But he's just taking piss all the time, isn't he? He absolutely loves it. Well, there we go. All I can say is that when I finally made this reservation for the podcast with your agent, he insisted on me reserving you a parking space outside my house, even though I categorically told him that you would be doing this remotely. So there must be something in it. Um, Whilst we're on the subject, Jim of my house i would like to uh, you already know where this is going as i as i alluded to in your introduction you are um unofficially but as far as i'm concerned officially the, the mayor of titherington and the, for those that don't know titherington is uh, uh uh an area towards the edge of macclesfield now a, a wee while ago uh, my wife and i uh or we weren't married at the time but uh, Katrina and I were trying to buy a house very desperately, and we'd found a nice house in uh, in Titherington. Very excited, um, you know. We had uh, everything lined up. The day we were exchanging contracts, the week before we completed on the said purchase of the house, suddenly it all fell through. the uh, The owner of the house turned round, uh, t- took a, took a, a big wealth big running dump on a, on the purchase of our house and, uh, and, and and rotted us, for want of a better description. And I am still convinced that this is because you discovered that I was going to be moving to Titherington and you had me struck off. Um, can you please confirm or deny this? This was absolutely nothing to do with me. <laughs> absolutely nothing to do with me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not too sure the neighbourhood was, was ready for you wandering around the street singing like some sort of go compare man. But uh, yeah, absolutely had... <laughs> nothing to do with me so if that bloke decided to rod you then withdraw that was nothing to do with me either well i mean you could tell it to the judge as far as i'm concerned you you cost me a house uh, big man um anyway mo- moving swif- not guilty <laughs> moving swiftly onwards um jim we are we are going to come to the end of the podcast now and with all the guests we uh, we do like to go with the quick fire questions so um I'm- we're gonna we're gonna chance our arm with you and, and see where we get. Nickname? Uh, Melly. Not big man. Well, I can't call myself a big man, can I? <laughs> Very good. Left or right-handed? Left. Bat or bowl? Uh, uh, bat marginally, I think. Fielding position? Keeper. Test or T twenty? Or test. Best cricketer you've played with? Uh, best cricketer I've played with. Nick uh, Burtis. Fastest bowler you've faced? Ash Davis. That lad um, uh, that you faced a couple of seasons ago, is it from Hyde? There's that great picture of you off your off your feet in the air, getting, getting your head taken off. He was probably fairly sharp, was he? Oh, yeah. Sounds like a fabulous picture. Glad <laughs> I've not seen this one. I think I saw enough of it the first time, or, or little of it. <laughs> um, messiest in the dressing room? Well, I would say James. James Cross is quite messy. Uh, but also, I have to give a special mention to, to John Birchall here. But John Birchall is my next door neighbour in the changing rooms, and I have to dress him every game. He turns up after being a separate pair of whites. There's been many a time I've told him he's not going out on the pitch looking like that. And I think until now, Gemma's never really understood why I've had so many pairs of whites to wash after every game. Because Birch has worn them. <laughs> Very good. Uh, longest in the shower? Pete Barron. First... <laughs> <laughs> First thing on your plate of teas? Pizza. Drink of choice? Pilsner. Takeaway of choice? Chinese. Dance move of choice? <laughs> there's, not, there's not many, mate, I'm not going to lie. Uh, pulled out a few keeper moves on the, on the dance floor before, so maybe we'll go for that. <laughs> nothing nothing from the rodeo? No, 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 no rodeos, no. Nothing like that. No, no reverse rodeos. Three dream dinner guests, who are they? Three dream dinner guests. Well, first one, Nick Burtis. Obviously, uh, that, that's that's that, that's a given that we, we had uh, many many evenings uh, sort of around ours, particularly when Don was over as well, sort of having dinner and stuff like that. So they were always being serious now, by the way. They were always, but uh, you know, very good times. And obviously, we, we look forward to those guys coming over again and being able to do it again. So Nick Burtis is very much uh, number one. Um, I think number two uh, would have to be Dave Bostock. I think actually because. You get, 
Bosley used to get very, very upset when he got left out. If Bert came round to mine, he'd get very upset. He'd be phoning Bert, panting down the phone, whining like a, a lovesick Jack Russell. He, he was unbelievable sometimes. I know where you are. Where are you? I know where you are. It's like Phoenix Knights. So obviously we've got to invite Boz around. Uh, and also he can cook. Uh, hopefully you won't serve up another dry chicken. I don't know if you've ever heard about the famous dry chicken. Uh, <laughs> I have heard about the famous dry chicken. Yeah, yeah, the old Kentucky dry chicken. The Colonel Dave Bostock. Unbelievable. Uh, so I think and I think the final guest, obviously, uh, I'd have to invite Mr. Sabas round, I think. Because obviously, as I was saying before, I'm a bit concerned about his memory, uh, given that he's been making certain comments that he's not seen me for quite a while, uh, which is quite clearly uh, untrue. So... Just to make sure that I'm in the front, forefront of his mind, I'd like to invite Sabas round as well. Uh, so there, there's my three, my three dinner guests. That sounds like one heck of a banjo. Um, Jim, aims for this season, I mean, if we get any cricket, and, uh, and of course next season. Well, I mean, I think, I think I'd be very surprised if there's any recreational cricket this year. I think given that the ECB have said that the professional game's sort of on hold until, until July, I think that that sort of amateur amateur sport, you know what I mean. Uh, recreational sport will be very much sort of probably one of the last things to to co- you know to be released. If there's any cricket at the end of the year, it might be very short format competitions. Uh, so I think really uh, next year will probably be be the full year. I mean, obviously now I am with having two little ones. My time in terms of being able to play full time is 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 very much limited. Uh, would like to play a few games when I can. But obviously, we'll, we'll see where we are, I think, sort of next season on that. But I'd be very surprised this year, unfortunately, if, if there's any cricket this year, given everything that's going on. Definitely. Um, Jim, I have to say, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, are there any closing remarks, anything you, you want to put out there? No, no. I just want to say that, uh, you know, the, these are, you know, in, in quite strange times at the moment, these are bringing a lot of enjoyment to people. I think you're doing a great job with the podcast. Obviously, you've got a wide variety of guests on. Certain guests telling uh, more levels of truth than others. Quite a few fantasists, but a guest that keeps the enjoyment up and the entertainment up. So keep going with them, mate. They're really good. And I would love to come on one another time. Excellent. Jim, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. I will um, I'll make payment to your agent in due course. And um, thank you very much and hopefully see you soon. Brilliant. And you, mate. Take care.